Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast. My name is Ann Garten. I will be your host. And I'm really excited to have folks from uh, St. Ambrose University, our, our little campus here, uh, around speech pathology and our degree. But not only that, but we have some really great programs that are happening in, the, in from that program. And we're going to talk about that. But first, let's have each of you introduce yourselves. And uh, we'll go from there. I am Bridget Vale. I am a clinical instructor in the MSLP uh, Masters of Speech Language Pathology uh, program here at St. Ambrose University. I'm also an alum, graduated in the second cohort back in 2012, um, and I came back because I am passionate about helping our students continue to grow the field of speech language pathology. Excellent. Thanks, and we're glad to have you. I'm an alum as well, so go bees. Yahoo! Go bees! (laughs) All right, you want to give your... Hi, my name's Elisa Huff. I was hired in 2007 to actually start a graduate speech-language pathology program here at SAU, and it's about a two-year process to obtain national accreditation, which we did right on time. Uh, We take about 30 students in each cohort. We see clients in our clinic and also in the community. I am not an alum, but I feel like I finally found home and kind of wish I was an alum. Excellent. Well, you are home because you're part of the family. You are part of the hive. Once so, a bee, always a bee. Indeed, indeed. Um, so first, I think I want to start, and I'm gonna. I am gonna have you, Lisa, share a little bit of what is a speech pathologist, and and what is it that you do, both in the community, acute care, so on and so forth. For speech language pathology, it really is working with people from we say birth to the grave. Um, We have speech-language pathologists who do newborn hearing screenings, which is six hours, four hours the day after a child was born. Um, We have speech-language pathologists who work in hospice. We have speech-language pathologists working in schools, um, acute care medical centers, rehab centers, private practice, national organizations, government, really big variety. Uh, We work with persons who have communication and swallowing problems. That could include articulation problems, so difficulty producing the correct sounds. It could be persons school age, younger adults who've had head injuries, Um, persons who stutter, persons with reading difficulties, Uh, Like some of the other health sciences, we have a very broad scope of practice. Indeed, indeed. And I wonder, I think you touched on it a little bit, but you also share what does does the education look like, Bridget, for a student coming into St. Ambrose? Sure. Um, So it's a master's level degree. So education starts either in CSD, Communication Sciences and Disorders, or it can be in another um, area of interest as well. For me personally, my area of interest was in physical therapy, kept trying to put on that shoe, kept trying to put on that shoe, and it never quite fit. Um, I was able to work for the Handicap Development Center here in town and was able to work with clients on PTOT and speech goals, and I realized at that point that speech was in my wheelhouse. Um, And so I did not have a degree in communication sciences and disorders, and um, I did take additional courses, which they call leveling courses, um, to help catch me up to speed in that area. 
Um, but the background that I have had has helped serve me in a multidisciplinary field where I'm able to understand physical therapy and occupational therapy. I remember conversations with a physical therapist um, who was giving multi multi-step directions to a client who had a communication deficit. And I said, could you consider maybe giving one-step directions so the client could better understand what you're expecting of them? And that was helpful for the client to achieve goals. So in education, um, we have students who've come from education with an undergrad in um, education who have served in the um, schools. And we've had, I've had students from social work. I think we've even had criminal justice. So really the the background is broad, um, but then once you get into the program, the program is focused on that birth to grave philosophy of servicing anybody with communication in um, the different areas of speech and language. I know personally, I am extremely thankful for speech language pathologists as a nurse. We use them a lot uh, with our stroke patients and, and beyond. Uh, dementia patients keep going. My own brother was 80% deaf as a child, so speech language path pathologist assisted us in, in that journey as well. So. Um, I think we, we sometimes don't understand what each other's disciplines do, so hence why I wanted to really share that, because even in our own community, we don't know about those resources that are available to us to ask about, right? As spe um, speech language pathology, now that you mention it, also really helped me. Uh, my older sister went to a university clinic for speech pathology, speech language pathology services, because she wasn't saying all of her sounds correctly by the age she would be expected to. And then three years later, I came along and I also um, attended the same university clinic for speech language pathology services. Um, and then later on, my mom went from being a nurse to a speech language pathologist. So I've had speech language pathology with me from zero to my current age. Yeah, indeed. They're an important part of the interdisciplinary team. Yes. So in the education journey at St. Ambrose, um, part of some of their clinical uh, experience is through our right care clinic, correct? That's I fine. wonder if you want to share a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so right now we have our uh, 14th cohort going through the program, and they are gearing up to be in the right care clinic. Um, many of them are preparing session plans, reading charts, and then they will begin here after Labor Day seeing clients. So it's really a hands-on method of instruction where we allow students to explore working with clients from the very beginning with the support of a speech language pathologist as their supervisor. Um, clients, or excuse me, students get a variety of experiences either on in the clinic them, itself or off at different offsite placements. And so allowing the student to be prepared for birth to grave means that we need to also prepare them and giving them multiple opportunities to see different disorders within the communication disorders population. Um, Dr. Huff, do you want to speak a little bit more about the different settings too that we have here? Yeah. And at the Right Care Clinic, we have usually around 40 to 50 clients that we serve each semester. Uh, it's very much mimics an outpatient medical setting where clients may be seen of any age two times a week for 30 or 50 minute sessions. Um, we're the only speech language pathology clinic in Iowa that does not charge for services. 
and we fit a need in the community for persons who for a variety of reasons may not have that access. We also collaborate with other nonprofits in the community and we provide services there, prevention, assessment, intervention um, at no cost. And we work with Hope at the Brick House, um, Friendly House, SAU Children's Campus, Empower House, which is a brain injury clubhouse in the community. Those are some of the community organizations we partner with. Excellent. So I love that piece. And I wonder how do folks in the community either get referred to you if they're not part of one of those um, programs, right? Or uh, are, are finding that they may have that need to, to engage a speech language pathologist. A lot of it has been word of mouth in part because I was, um, as the program director, I was nervous that if we marketed ourselves, we'd have too much of a waiting list. Um, I also found out over time that if you don't market yourself, people also don't know that you exist. So didn't necessarily work out in the best way. Um, so it's been word of mouth. Just about a year ago, we actually have a website just for our clinic. And um, to initially start accessing services, it starts with a phone call to our clinic and just talking to who's ever at the front desk and letting us know a little bit about what's going on. And um, we also get referrals from early intervention speech language pathologists, from speech language pathologists working in outpatient settings where maybe someone's insurance has run out and they can no longer afford services through that organization and they will get referred to us. Excellent. I wonder if you could share a little bit of what are those signs and symptoms that somebody in the community may see, you know, maybe they see a family member recognizing some things in themselves that they would want to engage a speech language pathologist. I'll speak a little bit more for the medical part. Um, Bridget can speak medical and pediatric. I kind of went more medical route and she's a little bit more well-rounded. Um, for the medical, it's usually an actual diagnosis that gets someone realizing there may be a need for communication services like a stroke, head injury, Parkinson's, ALS, um, dementia, of course, Alzheimer's would be one of them too. And for the children, I'll let you take that one, Bridget. Sure. Um, and for children, um, parents can... Um ask their physicians, there are certain benchmarks or milestones that we expect communication to de be considered developing typically. And if a child is not meeting those milestones, for instance, we might have different forms of babbling at the infancy stage versus sound production, saying certain sounds correctly when the preschooler age begins, or even in the literacy phase when students begin to learn to read and write, um, if any one of those phases as the language develops seems like it's not typical or the child doesn't look quite like their peers and maybe has some questions, I always default to it's better to have it checked out than to just wait and see, because sometimes the wait and see method could have been supported years ago. And I can speak from a parent standpoint. Um, I have a child who receives services at the right care clinic. And so as a parent, um, I really appreciate the services that are provided because there are limitations to communities and especially schools of what criteria a child might need to be at to receive services. And so 
for our situation, my child is not severe enough to receive services in the school setting, however, does have concerns for her expressive language, which then is also, um, there's also some concerns with her oral narrative explanation. And so there's some overlap between her verbal expression and her reading explanation um, that have been supported in the clinic. And so um, really, it's just about saying "Mm, something's not quite right with development here. Let's speak either to the physician or you can call directly to the right care clinic because we do not require a physician's order in order to begin services. Excellent. Love that because it's really con- connecting with the community and offering a service that, that is ne- needed, right? Um, and, and giving our students some real-time learning with professional support, right? So I think that's also really important to understand is we don't just send them off. We really are overseeing the care that they're, they're providing as well. And, and to that point, too, and um, students are required to have um, – 400 hours in the state of Iowa, if I remember correctly, a significant number of hours before they can begin to apply for their licensure. So this provides an opportunity for the community to receive services, but also for the students to learn and work with a speech-language pathologist and a client while receiving services so that when they do enter what we call their clinical fellowship year, they've already had practice at different uh, practice working in the different areas. Indeed. I wonder beyond, thank you for sharing your own personal story, but I wonder if you have any other success stories that you want to share with our, with our listeners. I think the silence comes from just reflecting on, oh, where do we start? Correct. Um, I'd say it's uh, we had a fundraiser a couple of weeks ago and we had a parent speak at that fundraiser. And, um, that parent had thought something was maybe not quite right, um, looked to seek out services. Child did not qualify for services through the school, which is no issue with the school. That's just requirements that have to be followed. And she found our way, found her way to the right care clinic. And one of the things she was really wanting to hear was her child to be able to say the word mom. And so with some services, with some therapy, mom got to finally hear her child say mom. So that's very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's one that comes to my mind. Um, I was working with a person with Parkinson's and communication was very severely impacted, but cognition, knowledge, sarcasm, everything else was still there. And um, knowing that with Parkinson's, it's a disease that there's decline that's going to happen. Um, We were able to give the family just a piece of paper that had different pictures, different words that the client could point to, and also what's called an alphabet board, which is literally just here's a piece of paper that has all letters of the alphabet on it so that if they weren't able to understand him, he could spell something out. And initially, we were just trialing it to see if it was going to work. And a week later, when I talked to the family, she had made a copy of that board and put it in every room of their house. And so even as 
he was going through the dying process, he was still able to fully communicate with his family. And that was important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I can think of some other clients, too, that we've served in our um, clinic. One that comes to mind is a person who was returned to work. So that looks a little bit different, too. And so this is a person who had has um, holds a higher education degree. And so on the surface, being able to come up with the right words may have sounded okay to the lay person, but to that person who needed to speak in a professional setting, working with that individual to return back to work, to be able to write, present, and host other persons as part of their job helped um, boost their confidence and then also helped retrieve words that they may not have been able to do to retrieve otherwise and coming up with some strategies for that person, especially when fatigue can set in, sometimes words can become more challenging and symptoms become a little bit more obvious. Um, Coming up with some strategies to mask the listener um, of the deficits that are going on. I love these stories because they're very person-centered. Right. So I have to pull that in. Imagine that. Right. So from from being able to hear mom to being able to function at a very high level in a a setting of work. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that is so key because we know to be true. Communication is so important and it looks different for all of us. We understand that. And and we may meet different barriers and and in that uh, communication and, and how we get that through. But we can give people tools to expand on where they're at and meet their needs and values and goals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're working through that right now with our current cohort when we're talking about client interview. In fact, I fielded a couple of questions this morning. Well, what are good interview questions? And I said, well, it depends. <laughs> and so they love that response because it doesn't give them the, I'm being sarcastic. They don't love that response <laughs> right, at all. I know. <laughs> um, but I, we talked about how in order to get to a person-centered care goal, we really need to understand who the person is. And so you want to ask questions. And so we talked to the students about, or talk with the students about asking questions that help you understand who the person is that you're working with. And then the goals can be driven from the root of the client and what the client's communication needs are. Indeed. And I love watching speech language pathologists work through that process because they're meeting somebody with a communication barrier and assessing for those very needs in in a very person-centered way. And and I think that's uh, the the beauty of watching you all work. Yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity to... um come out here and be part of the podcast. One thing that I've been reflecting on the past five years is looking at groups that are very well able to advocate for themselves. And then seeing that, oh, persons with communication disorders, they have more difficulty advocating for themselves, their services, um, sometimes what I call communication ramps, such as a restaurant having a menu maybe that doesn't have as many items and pictures and um, that's an area I would really like to improve upon for persons with communication disorders is um, helping them be advocate for themselves but then also helping persons who don't have a communication disorder advocate for that population. Yeah, and that reminds me of a story um, that we had a client who was working in the right care clinic who went to Starbucks after her session every time. And 
um, the student and I worked together to say, um, we decided that maybe the client should be ordering her Starbucks. So originally it started with the her son helping her order her Starbucks. But we said, well, why is her son? Well, because he kind of always has since her stroke. And so we're like, but does it always have to be that way? And so watching the student grow in, um, and just see the glow in the student's eyes, helping the person across the table, being able to order something such as a cup of coffee from their mouth versus their um, their son's mouth made a huge difference, and they did it during COVID. So if they could tackle those hurdles, what else could we tackle here? Indeed, indeed, love that. Any closing thoughts that you want our community to know about as we close up? Um, the last thought I would have is I just want to send a public thank you to the community partnerships that we have and allowing our students and our speech-language pathology supervisors to provide services in their settings, and then a call out to um, Scottish Rite members, the um, Iowa Scottish Masonic um, Iowa Scottish Rite Masonic Foundation has been supporting the clinic since 2007, and since that time has given over $500,000 to the clinic, and that has allowed us to purchase clinic materials. More importantly, it allowed us to actually have clinical services during the summer. The program wasn't initially designed for summer services. And so we didn't have in the budget the pay for the speech-language pathology supervisors. Um, and so that has allowed us to actually run a summer clinic since 2009. And that's very wonderful. Well, <laughs> and it's very person-centered. Right care, right timing, right place, right person. All of those pieces of the puzzle. Nice. Love that. Anything, last closing words, Bridget? I'm, I'm just grateful to have a program that has developed um, me personally as a professional and as an individual. Um, I'm grateful to serve the program back in developing, helping develop the next generation of speech-language pathologists. So any persons who've been a part of that um, planning process to today, I'm thankful to have those individuals in our lives and continue to do what we do best, not only at the person, you know, as person centered, but as Ambrose, and that's serving our community um, and serving our students. Go bees. Go bees. Thanks, ladies. It's a pleasure. And thanks, listeners. We'll see you next time. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast is provided by KALA-FM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker. It is produced by Ann Garten, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University.